Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We have been looking at why unity is important in the church. Uh, Psalm chapter 133, we talked about it was for God's blessings. In John chapter 17, we spoke about how it is for evangelism and to share the gospel. In Romans chapter 15, it is for our glorification and to glorify God. Today, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to... Today I want to think about being a Christian, being a part of the church, as a job. Jobs are on our mind these days, I think. The economy isn't doing great, and there are a lot of people that are kind of scrambling to make ends meet. Um, You know, a couple of years ago it was gasoline, and now it's eggs. And, And inflation is very real, and I just, it can't seem to make up its mind what part of the grocery store it's going to, my, my father the other day said he was old enough to remember a time when we decorated the houses of our enemies in toilet paper and eggs, but now we can't afford to do that. Jobs are on our minds. The church has a job, and we need to do our job. And so with that, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to, ful- in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, and then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, to run through this analogy, if the church is a job, then God is our boss. Profound, right? Absolutely 
breathtaking concept. I, we cannot claim to work for the Lord and then turn around and tear his church, the bride of Christ, apart. That's not done in his name. He doesn't approve of that. He wants unity in his church. We need to keep his unity. God created unity through the death of Christ, and it is our job to continue that. At the end of the day, being being united isn't something nice. It's not like icing on the cake. So back when I was in in sixth grade, my my best friend uh, was a guy named John Yesner back in, in East Northport, New York. We were in grade school together. And John had his birthday party, and we all came over to the birthday party. And just a, a, a typical white birthday cake. Kind of, I'm not a big fan of white cake already. It's kind of flavorless. John didn't want icing. He wanted whipped cream on top, which to me is just extra flavor. I, whipped cream, ketchup has only one function. It's meatloaf, and then we're done. You know, I don't like ketchup. Whipped cream has one function, pumpkin pie, and then we're done. I don't like whipped cream. John had this white flavorless birthday cake with whipped cream, and every kid was given a spray can of whipped cream for more. I'm scraping off the whipped cream I've already got on my cake. Every kid with, you can imagine what sixth graders were with can of, piled at that. You have never seen so many belly aches 15, 20 minutes later in your life. It was amazing. As I said, I'm not, my father and I share a birthday, um, which is kind of fun. I'm going to be honest. I actually like that. And uh, a lot of times we just ask mom to make us a pound cake. (laughs) No icing, just, just a cake and be done with it. Um, Icing's optional, right? Put it on cake or not. If you like it, fine. If you like lots of it, fine, I guess. But icing is optional. You know what isn't optional? Unity. It's not, it's not optional. We don't get to pick or choose, well, this church is united and this one isn't. It's not a fun option that we can take or leave. God requires it of us. In the same way, Paul says that we have one God and Father, one Lord, and that means Jesus, God and Father is one. Lord is one. That's Jesus. One spirit. A whole lot of emphasis on that number one. Uh, and, and there's to be one body. We're members of the church. We're not members of this church. We're members of the church. Now, this building, this congregation is a church, but there is the church, which is Christ's bride. It's not just the people in these four walls. There's one body in part because there is one Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't meant to be in competition, not with us, and frankly, not with Himself. We believe that there is one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but there is one God. And I know that's tricky math. I know the concept of the Trinity, um, one plus one plus one equals one. I know that that's a little bit tricky, and we can use water can be liquid and steam and ice. And we, can, we can use that as, as a broken... There, there's never been the perfect analogy I am a father and a son and a husband. I'm still one person. God is, is we call him sometimes the three in one. Um, God is united. He's not, he's not in, in some kind of competition or, or disagreement with himself. And he is in us and we need to be united. Or I think we give him a headache. But I, uh, one of the uh, comic book characters I have enjoyed through the years is a character named Madrix whose power is that every time you hit him, he creates another one of him. He's the multiple man. What an amazing... If I could have any power, I don't want to fly. I don't want to 
shoot laser beams out of my eyes or breathe underwater. But the ability to do 128 things at once, that is his number. The ability to do 128 things at once, my life would be drastically different. It would be so good. His problem, however, is that every time he breaks off a personality, if he smashes his hand on a table and makes another duplicate, that duplicate's personality is exactly what he was thinking about in that moment, even if it's just a random stray thought. So most of his duplicates don't get along. Because at heart, as human beings, we're a little all bit schizophrenic. We just, we have, you know, there's the part of me that said, there's the part of me that at nine o'clock told Kenny, I'm going to resist donuts. I don't need that today. And there's the part of me at 1030 that said, I'm going to have that donut after all. <laughs> right? We, we've all got those parts of us that are at war with each other. I don't know that I actually want those other parts running around, contradicting me and, and, and undermining me. And as goofy as that sounds, it's not so goofy when it happens in the body of Christ, which is to be one body. Um, God is not split. We are to be united in purpose. Do we make God proud with how we follow him as, as, as a church, as, as, as follow the boss in one way, or are we kind of schizophrenic? And kind of one part of the church is doing this, and one part, and we have no we have no focus. And so that gets into then part two. What I want to say: if God is the boss, again, this is really profound. Ready? We're each other's co-workers. Deep, right? It, it, a healthy church is a united church, and a church without unity is just dysfunctional. There's no way around that. We we work with each other to get the job done. So. My, um, back in October, I, I, I was invited to preach at my home church. My, my, my father preached at a lot of churches. It's hard to say that I have a home church, but if I were to pick one, I would say the one in Elkville, Illinois, is my home church. And I say that because um, it's, it's where, it's kind of my earliest memories before that was Scotland, and I don't really remember that. It's where Dad preached when we came back from Scotland. Um, it's ironically then... Uh, when I became a preacher at the age of 30, I just preached the next town over. And I could go and visit Elkville all the time, and I, and I loved that church. And the preacher at that church, when I was preaching in Murfreesboro, the preacher in Elkville was a guy that I had Greek class with in college. It just felt, even then, it felt like a home church. I have a, I have a friend there. She's been my friend since we were two, and she's still a, a very dear friend. Um, when my dad there, the church looked one way. Churches changed. It grew. It grew quite a bit. Um, under, while, while, while my friend Gary is, has been the preacher there. Um, massive new building, running hundreds. And I asked Gary, I said, you know, I'm a new preacher. What are you doing right? What, how, do, how do I copy this? What, what are, what, what's been the secret? This is a little, this is a, Elkville is a tiny little town, barely on a map. I don't know how a town of a thousand can have a church of hundreds. Um, that's, that's just mind-blowing to me so what are you doing right that i that i can take with me and he 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 said i i have good elders and my church wants to grow he said that's it it's not on me i'd still love to figure out what that secret is but i i do think that that's the foundation i think if the church trusts the leadership and the leadership has a vision of growth and 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 let me be clear on growth those numbers in the back of the church, we put them up, and, they, and they're meant to encourage us. Growth isn't for the sake of the numbers, though. Every number that's on the 
board back there that keeps track of our daily attendance is for the purpose. Uh, those numbers, are, are, are they're not just statistics. Those are people. Those are you. These are people that hear the gospel. The numbers don't matter, but the people do, right? The people behind the number. Growth matters because people need to hear about Jesus. The lesson to be learned here is both basic and powerful is that churches churches choose their health here's what i what i mean by that I, let me first say that i do think that we're not doing bad i think i think that the first church of christ here in elkins is a good church i think it's a fine church i think it's healthy could is there room for improvement of course let's let's not delude ourselves we we we, we could improve and we should try to improve on on how we're ministering how we meet the needs of those in our congregation, those outside of the congregation. Certainly in evangelism, there's always room for improvement. Um, and, and, I, and I do think that we need to ask ourselves the question, are we united in purpose? And here, here's what I mean. Um, I have seen a lot, the, the magic number is 100. And, and this is from years of Bible college and seminary. Um, half of our churches in our country are over 100 and half are under. That has nothing to do with kind of averages. That number actually has kind of a power to it. If the church is under 100, you can know everybody in the building. You can, you can keep your, your pulse on what's going on. You can make it to all the church events. And, and, and you have, if a church is 100 people, you have 1% of the vote. <laughs> but it drops below 1%. And I know we don't vote, vote, but you get what I'm saying. Once a church gets over 100, you're not as important. You can't know everybody. You can't control quite the way that you could, and a lot, and, and, and people don't openly think about it, but in the back of their mind, there are an awful lot of churches that just kind of self-destruct at that number. And, and when the numbers drop too low, they'll start inviting people, and when they get to 100, we've got enough, and they'll quit inviting people. The church is getting a little big. doesn't feel like our church anymore. This isn't the way, all these new people, this isn't the way we used to do things, and churches will kind, they don't even realize they're doing it. They, they just kind of slip back down to that comfortable number of 80, 85 is a comfortable number. 100 is kind of that limit. And if a church can break that 100, then the the sky's the limit. But for churches, a lot of times, they're not united in the purpose of bringing new people to the church. Um, I miss Juanita Marco. Um, Not, not, I, I miss, yeah, I want to make sure. Two Juanitas make, and both, both with last names of him. I miss Juanita Marco because I loved her stories of coming to church here. And Juanita's stories were about how if she came, I remember it because she talked about it a lot. It must have been a big deal. She would come to church, and if she came late, there was nowhere to sit. That's not our problem today. Um, now, I get that the world was different back then. And I get that, that TV wasn't as big of a thing, and we certainly didn't have the internet. And more of the community came to church. Um, I would love to have those days again. That's the problem I'd like to have. This church could, I think, seat 200. I think that it could. I think that there's enough seating here. We'd be shoulder to shoulder, but I'm happy with that. Uh, we have air conditioning now. won't be quite so miserable. Um, as a church, we have to be working towards, the, towards a vision. And and that vision is people. It, we're not going to agree on everything. Some people will say you're singing too many praise choruses, and some people will say you're not singing enough praise choruses. Um, uh, some people will say we need more hymns. Some people will say less. You're not the audience. God is. Um, I, 
You're not always going to like the music, and that's okay, because it's not about you. Um, Some people will say we're too laid back, and the preacher should be in a jacket. Somebody else is going to say the preacher's too dressed up, and he should get out of the tie. I... You can't please all the people, and I don't, I, I don't expect, in, our pre, in my previous church, we had people that complained if you mowed on, on Monday because the grass was too high on Sunday. You had people that complained if you mowed on Saturday because there was dead grass all over the yard and they didn't like to see the blood. You just cannot please all the people. That stuff doesn't matter. Bringing people in, if we're not united that people out there need to be in here and hearing about Jesus, then we've got a problem. We have a purpose. That purpose is missional. We need to bring people to Christ. So, God's the boss, we're the co-workers. Now we get to the kind of the less obvious fun stuff, tools. Every job needs a tool. I carry lockpicks in my wallet still, even though that was quit being a lockpick locksmith 18 years ago. I still have lockpicks with me because that's just they were part of my wallet then and I've just never taken them out. Got me in trouble at one or two airports when I forget to take them out. What are our gifts as Christians? What are the tools of the trade? You know, Paul talks about our gifts. The point of the different gifts is not to divide the church and not to say, here's a class of people and here's a class. and here's. It's to unite the church. Can you imagine the chaos if everybody decided they were the preacher? I mean, beyond the fact that now, there's not a lot of point then of having me here, but if everybody wanted to stand up here and nobody, there's nobody to talk to, it would be sheer chaos. It, and we'd never get out of here on a Sunday. What if everybody wanted to play piano, but nobody wanted to lead singing? What if everybody wanted to be a teacher, but we didn't have any people to sit in the classes? Kind of like if 12 people got together and everybody wanted to be the coach and nobody wanted to be the football players. If every tool in my toolbox was a Phillips screwdriver, I'd really struggle to hammer nails. The differences between us are a gift from God. Now, let's talk about what a gift is and what a gift isn't, okay? Not everybody can teach, and if you're not called to teach, don't sweat it. If that's not your gift, that's okay. But love is not a gift. Everybody is called to love. Everybody is called to forgive. That's just the basics of being a Christianity, uh, of being Christian. This is where school got some things wrong, I think. Don't get me wrong. I like our school system. I, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying school. I do think, and I think we all get this, um, schools have typically taught towards one kind of student, one learning method. And I do appreciate that our schools are kind of trying to brand, you know, I think it's gotten better than it was when I was a kid. Um, there are extra resources for kids that maybe struggle with the normal Way, normal, I don't even like that word, the, the, the standard way of, of learning. School was great for me. I did fine in, in school. I, I've talked about that before. I, I was that whiz kid that sailed through it. Um, but there were a lot of people, and they're not stupid. They're not dumb. They just learn differently. But in school, they may think that they're not intelligent because their learning style doesn't mesh with the teaching style. And because of that, and, and, and we're not all good at the same subjects either. I was pretty good at math in, in, in school. Surprisingly, I wasn't good at language. Math was easy. It was too easy. So I quit doing it because it was too easy. I wanted a challenge, and so I did languages. And I find languages fun, but I do find them challenging. I'm not a, I'm not a, I would never call myself a whiz at language. 
I just enjoy the challenge of it. Um, I didn't. I wasn't great at science. Science was 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 not my subject. There are some people I kn- I know a, a whiz in linguistics. There was a professor at Lincoln that was the best man in my parents' wedding, and his his party trick was you could put him in a room with someone that didn't know any language that he knew, English or any other language. And he wouldn't know any language that they knew, including their native language. And give him an hour, one hour, with no common language denominator. And within an hour, he could be conversing with them. And that just, that's a, that's a linguistic genius that I just can't even imagine. I had a friend, my, my first roommate in college, Gordy. He was good at math. I mean, when I say good... He would, you could ask him, you know, what's 3,785 times 425? And he would be doing stuff in the air with his finger quicker than I could have written it on paper and get the right answer in, in seconds. I don't even know, how, how do you look at all of that? How do you, but he could, he could picture that. He had a mind for that. Those are gifts. Um, God gave different people in the church gifts, preaching, teaching, music. But we're all called to be loving. We're all called to be forgiving. We're all called to be Christ-like all the time in what we do. The gifts of the Spirit are meant to build up and perfect His church, not to create exclusion, not to create a cast of people. Here are the leaders. Here are the non-leaders. Here are the, there needs to be leadership in a church. But that doesn't mean that the leaders are better than, than anyone else. The teachers aren't better than the students. They've just been given that responsibility. Gifts are a responsibility, aren't they? If God has given you a gift... You're responsible for using it to his glory. It's his church, and that's why he gifts us. And the purpose of our gifts are to build him up. So, our boss, our co-workers, our tools, our job. What is the job of the church? In our analogy, what do we do? And my response is going to be works of service. If the church isn't making people's lives better... I'm not convinced it's the church. Now, somebody's going to say, aren't we supposed to tell people about Jesus? You all know about him, right? You, I, I, my suspicion is that there is nobody in here today who doesn't know who Jesus is. I'm not an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who tells non-Christians the good news that Jesus died for them. I love evangelism. That's not what I'm doing on Sunday morning. I think, evan- I think preparing people for evangelism is great, but that goes back to acts of service. I don't think that the purpose of the church is evangelism. I think it helps us grow, and I think it's serving. Christianity is not meant to be selfish. It's not about getting you into heaven. The vast bulk of the people in a church are already saved. We'll talk about that. The vast bulk of you are already Christians, so what, so what are we doing? If, if we're already saved, what's next? Um, you know, talking about salvation is fun, but it's icing on the cake. We, we can do it in the church, and at times it's appropriate, but by and large, it can be. If we're just talking about, hey, we're going to heaven, there's a little patting ourselves on the back. Encouragement is good. We need that sometimes. If we go on and on and on about how we're going to heaven, we haven't learned anything new. Our job, I think, uh, my job is to mobilize the church. The church's job is to serve. And that works when we get out there and we help people. And when we're good neighbors and when we serve others. One of the things, one of the things I like, you guys know I studied Coptic, the Egyptian language uh, from a couple of thousand years ago. Uh, the Coptic word for service 
is the Coptic word for worship. And I love that. I think that's such a neat combination word. Um, The church worships God correctly. And we call it a worship service. The church worships God when it serves others. That's in your job description. And it's not to keep the pews bolted down. They're, they're, I think they're pretty firm already. Service, what time are services? Service begins when the services end. When church is over, we can serve our community. Uh, and, and when we do that, when we do our job, we will know that we did something Christ-like. And, and, and we'll feel that. I, I've shared this example that in southern Illinois, at one point we got just dumped on by snow. And uh, I, we couldn't get out of our driveway. Very few people could get on the road. My buddy Billy. And it was Thursday, my day off there. Com- Thursday's comic book day. Um, new comics came into the store on Wednesday. Get to the store on Thursday to pick them up. Billy called me up and said, hey, I'll pick you up on there. I mean, there was no pulling into the driveway. But, <laughs> and I lived on a highway. But I'll stop on the highway and you can climb in and we'll keep going. And we did that. And we got to the comic book store. And, there, and we were passing cars that were, that were struggling. And, and we got to the comic book store. And there was, a car, there was a vehicle that was just stuck halfway, in the, halfway into the parking lot, halfway in the street. So it was a no-brainer to me. Well, we're going to get out and help and push this car out of there and dig them out and grab shovels and do what we can. And, you know, spent 10 minutes, not that long, getting this car unstuck. And we got inside. Billy said, I feel like we did something good today. And I love, I, I, to me, it was kind of a no-brainer and obvious. That's what you do. If you want to get into the parking lot, it's what you do. It's also what you do if you're a Christian. Billy wasn't a Christian at that time. I pray that he is. I pray that, I pray that his wife has been a good influence on him. I, uh, I'm glad that he saw that. I'm glad that he got a window today of this is what serving people feels like because Jesus came as a servant, right? And Jesus came and set us an example of serving others. And we can't have Christianity and leave that part out. Um, it, it's just what we're supposed to do. The, as a buddy of mine, a, a preacher named Jason Ishmael says, when you pull up at a stop sign, the police aren't there and throwing a party for you. Streamers and cake and you know, good job you followed the law. You're just expected to. There's no party for fun. We're expected to be servants. I do think you'll feel good when you serve others. But even if you don't, it doesn't matter. We're expected to serve people because that's what Jesus did. It's the example that he sets us. And if we don't, I'm not sure that we're really doing the job of the church. So the final thing, um, God is our boss. We are each other's co-workers. The gifts of the Spirit uh, our tools, our job, is service, our paycheck. Every job has to have a paycheck. Our paycheck, why be united? It is not so that you feel good about yourself. It's not so that you can pat yourself on the back or stand up in front of people and say, look what a good Christian I am. It's maybe the opposite of patting yourself on the back. It's for maturity. God cares if you are spiritually mature. And when we work together as a church, you will grow and mature and become Christ-like. That is why, that is why we gather together on Sundays. Um, people, who, uh, we, people who come to church will grow closer to God. They will learn more about Him. I know it's basic. Uh, people who don't go to church, c- can you pray at home? Yes. 
Can you read your Bible at home? Yes. Can you grow together and grow in faith and knowledge of God as the church, the bride of Christ is supposed to be? I don't know how you do that on your own. And I don't think you can. Most people I know that stay home are spiritually in the exact same place they were two, three, five, ten years ago. They may believe in God. They may pray. They may re- but, I, but people who don't go to church are rarely growing in Christ. And they can't grow far. Not without his church. Paul says that we are called to a unity in faith and knowledge. That knowledge is a big word. What we believe matters. We absolutely live in a day of, of, of a relativistic theology. As long as you believe in your heart, it doesn't matter what you believe, which is silly. If I believe that gravity doesn't apply to me, and I want to walk off the Eiffel Tower. Yes, yesterday was the 111th anniversary of the guy that made a parachute that didn't work. And he, they filmed it, and he dove off the Eiffel Tower and died. If you believe that gravity doesn't work, that it applies to some people and doesn't apply, that's no way to live, right? Gravity is it's non-negotiable. Okay. Paul says have faith and knowledge because what we believe matters. You can't just believe anything you want. What you believe matters. God cares. Um, if we are mature, we will not fall for Satan's traps, his distractions, his cults, that sort of thing that can take us away from God. People consider, uh, I said we get back to salvation, people, people consider pa- uh, uh, salvation as a pass-fail. You're either going to heaven or you're not. Yes, but. <laughs> yes, there are those who are saved and those who are not. But then there are those of us who are being saved, and that's all. So there's that point when we're saved. Um, there's that point when we are baptized into the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. And then Paul tells us to work out our salvation. And then there's the point I don't have to worry about it anymore because I'm saved and I'm in heaven with God. And so our salvation is both a point and a process and then an end point. Um, We are called to work out our salvation. Salvation is an ongoing process where we are being built up and perfected into a Christ-like image. And then, yes, there is going to be that one day when we're done, when, when we're no longer stressed about it, and, and we don't have to worry about being Christ-like because we're home. But until that day, we can't say, well, I was saved and so I'm done. There, there was this day that, that I became a Christian and now I'm good because it doesn't work that way. Uh, we, we can't. I know we all want a break, but there's never a break from being Christ-like. And frankly, because the Holy Spirit empowers us, I don't think acting like Jesus is supposed to be stressful. I think it's a relief. I think it's a joy. I think, for me, it's the, ah, this is what I was made for. I'm not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. This is not stressful. That doesn't mean everything in my life will go right. In fact, because Satan is my enemy, I think a lot of things are going to go wrong. He has power. And when I'm trying to get my life together, I think that's when he really starts attacking me the most. That just means I'm on the right track. If Satan is my enemy, I've got to keep it up. Salvation is something to work on, to work out. We rest when we get home. And as we struggle along, we're built up and we grow and we are mature and we are made perfect. 
our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 321. So one, one final comparison to a job. This job has a retirement plan that's out of this world, but, but you already knew that. Or, or did you? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you have any questions on whether that... Because again, there is a point when we are saved. There are, before that, it's like marriage. There's that point when we're getting to know each other and then dating. And, but there is that wedding that switches it from she's not my wife to she is my wife. There is a point when we're not a Christian, and then there's that point when we are. If you have any questions on whether which side of that point you're on, I definitely want to talk with you after church. Um, when we talk about one Lord, one faith, one baptism, there's a reason that that one's listed in there. It's not incongruous. Um, part of that process of becoming a Christian absolutely requires baptism. It's the badge that Christians wear. It's the badge that unites us. Um, I invite you to join the fellowship of believers, follow Jesus, experience salvation. If you want to stick around after church, let's talk. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristalkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.